uh, anytime I run into folks. And, and I think that happens in a variety of ways. It happens one-on-one when you're trying to get to the bathroom and someone says, oh, hey. And then you have that awkward moment of, do I just tell them I've got to pee? Or do you, uh, you know, stop and talk? Making a change, finding the strange, feeling damage on the Facebook firing range. I heart PCA, I heart PCA, I bought the PCA, out there this is Doug Servan I am one of the hosts on iHeartPCA which is an international intergalactical podcast going out to everyone in the NAPARC community and so I'm calling in to you from Oklahoma City here at 829 Northwest 13th Street and Justin where are you calling in from? Calling in from 210 Truman. I think it's Road, but Albuquerque, New Mexico, 87110, Doug. Yeah. Are you doing good today? Doing great, man. I You mentioned Nate Park, so like the day is made with the Nate Park reference. <laughs> yeah, we we did mention Nate Park. I, but today I wanted to ask you in our, before we bring in our guest, from the East Coast, by the way, I wanted to ask you a question about teams you hate. So we don't talk about hating too much on our IRPCA. We're on the positive. But today I wanted to bring it in a little, like, what are you, do you have like three or four teams that you just really dislike that you don't want to give mentioned to but i'm bringing it out so you give mention to yeah so sometimes right doug these things change like you have historic teams that you hate so as a cowboy fan historically i hate the redskins giants eagles but uh currently uh packers i mentioned that actually on the pod that aired with dan quackalar uh this week is that I hate the packers with everything in me right now and that's because they've had dallas's number and then I hate the Clippers right now because of Kawhi and uh, him not coming to the Lakers and, you know, teasing that out and just, man, just he's, yeah, they're dirty and I hate them. And then uh, I always hate the Giants in baseball, you know, San Francisco Giants, hate them. But also the Astros, don't forget that, Doug, the Cheaters, hate them. So those are my hated teams. They're currently, they get updated, they move up and down the list. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they can change too. Like if the Astros are irrelevant, then I'll stop hating them. Probably not. Probably won't ever stop hating them. But what about you, Doug? Do you have some haters? I've got some. Uh, I hate the Texas Longhorns. Obviously. And I hate the Kansas Jayhawks. Obviously. I think they're my most hated. Do you have an SEC team now that you hate because of Missouri's in the SEC? Besides like all, any, of the SEC? all the SEC is no good. Yeah, yeah, we know that. Yeah, and then I hate the Cubs. So I got Longhorns, Jayhawks, Cubs. Those are good Those are ones my to three hate. Most hated, and I could get in the rest, but I just don't want to go there. Yeah. 
I want to stay at this top three hated and make a site about how much I hate them. I bet our guest has some hate that he likes to spew. I bet that's true. You think so? So let's bring our guest in. Our guest is Joel St. Clair. Joel is calling in from the East Coast, and he's got some hater haterade going on, right? Joel, why don't you tell us what it is you hate, and then we'll move on to the things you love. Uh, yeah. Great to be with you guys, Doug, Justin. Uh, the New England Patriots have to be close to the top of my list. Uh, I think when you combine uh, cheating – uh, with, uh, you know, uh, personality, uh, those two things together are just, uh, I think when I don't have a dog in the hunt, I will often root for the underdog. And that means I just root against the Patriots a lot and have grown to just dislike perennial winners who never seem to lose. I guess that's like a compliment, but still don't like them. Uh, and then, you know, a little outside your typical leagues for you guys, but Manchester United, uh, can't stand those guys. And in America, p- people who have come to know Premier League, at least like in the 90s, the David Beckham days, Manchester United was kind of who everyone jumped on the bandwagon. And I'm a big Liverpool fan. And so just kind of can't can't stomach that much. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll go with those two. I actually like, uh, yeah, those are good. I, I, I'm a Man U guy, but I'm not like deep into Premier League and don't have really much history. And so I actually really enjoy Liverpool and the way that they play and find myself cheering for them pretty much anytime they don't play Man U. And, uh, we're, we're talking about soccer right now, right? <laughs> we are. We, yeah, it's, okay. it's the sport that lots of people in the world know, Doug. Uh, welcome to it. Uh, football in, in the broader world, but to you, soccer, sure. Mm-hmm. I got it. So, Joel, tell us who you are and what you're doing right now. And then I'm going to ask you after that about how you got in the PCA. Yeah, glad to do that. So uh, I am uh, a resident of Silver Spring, Maryland, where I live with my family. I'm married uh, to Stephanie and we have four kids. uh, And I pastor a church here called Mosaic Silver Spring. And I've done that for the last uh, nine years. Uh, It was a church that we planted, a few churches in the Presbytery, three churches primarily, uh, partnered together to send us here and get started. We started with uh, five emails, uh, addresses, you know, so kind of like a a parachute model uh, back in 2011. And uh, since then, uh, the church has grown. We've uh, particularized a fancy word for kind of coming into our own or being self-supporting as a church and then sent off our first church plant a few years back and uh, love uh, Silver Spring and what we're doing. And how did you get in the PCA, Joel? What's your trajectory into this little spot we call home? Yeah, so I grew up in the Pentecostal church and uh, really wasn't a Christian. So I went to church a lot and heard a lot uh, about the Bible and uh, experienced quite a bit inside the church but really, it wasn't until my freshman year in college at TCU that I became a Christian. Uh, and during that first year, this time of uh, some real spiritual growth spurred on by the Spirit, uh, I met a guy named Mike Sherritt, uh, who was leading a Bible study on campus at TCU. And Mike was planting a church called Fort Worth Presbyterian. It was a PCA church. 
And uh, he was moving like at a glacial pace through the book of Romans. Uh, I mean, like downloading FIFA 21 on a dial-up network connection <laughs> pace through Romans, like half a verse a week. But that guy was the on-ramp, so to speak. And so when we finished uh, TCU, I, I got married in my senior year and we moved to the East Coast. And the first church we visited, a church called McLean Presbyterian uh, here in the DMV area, uh, was uh, the first time we officially uh, joined the PCA. That was back in 2001, so almost 20 years. I love me some Mike Charrett. He is awesome, right? I think Mike is uh, pretty fantastic. And uh, I sometimes wish we had like, you know how you hear sometimes, and I know you guys both watch uh, football, and you like hear this about like coaching trees, like, oh, who, you know, developed under this guy, and he was a coordinator, and then he became a head coach later on, so this idea of like coaching trees, I sometimes wonder what the PCA would look like if you mapped out pastor trees, uh, so guys who have just faithfully done ministry locally and poured into people who later went on to do ministry, because I know that there are lots of those, not always that we would know those names, but Mike is one of those guys. And so you, me, a uh, guy named Josh Honey, who's been mentioned on previous pods uh, on iHeartPCA, uh, really came to faith or grew up in a lot of ways under Mike. And uh, he's just been incredible. So, yeah. Let's work on that. Wayne Sparkman in the PCA Historical Society, you're on notice to make this as a project so you so you ended up getting to the east coast but then you ended up in dallas so we haven't completed the circle yet how you got in the pca but like where did you end up from there to where you are yeah now? that's a great question uh, so in college i was there studying nursing and uh, finishing my nursing degree. And I was there on an ROTC scholarship. And so my first job out of college was uh, serving, I got commissioned in the army and I was assigned to a hospital in Washington, DC. And so I left TCU in Fort Worth to come out to Washington, DC and uh, to begin to work. This was right after 9-11. Uh, so I worked here uh, in uh, the intensive care unit mostly uh, taking care of soldiers uh, for the next four years. And when I was coming off active duty, I was sensing a call to ministry. And so I did the normal things, I think, talked to uh, some pastors at my local church and tried to work through um, a healthy view of how you would know your call to ministry or what would that look like. And uh, the net result of that after a number of months of praying and talking to folks and listening uh, was that we uh, made the decision when I finished my military time to go to seminary. Uh, so then there's always this question of where, where do you go to seminary? And I had no idea, man, that there's definite differences between seminaries, but I just was clueless about what those differences are. Uh, I just kind of thought, Hey, what uh, seems to be a good education. And the two names that popped up for me at the time were covenant seminary in St. Louis and a school called Westminster seminary, uh, the, the campus in Philadelphia, and then they had started a campus, kind of a seminary plant, so to speak, in Dallas. And uh, that Dallas campus ended up being the best combination of stage of life, cost of living, proximity to family uh, for us. And so that's where we chose to go. And you did nursing, right? 
while you were in Dallas? Yeah, I did. So I started uh, while I was in seminary going full time. I worked part time for the first couple of years, like two 12 hour shifts a week at UT Southwestern uh, there in Dallas in their uh, neurosurgery ICU. And so that was pretty intense, man. You know, you'd like go to class, you'd get some reading in. Uh, and then uh, on Friday and Saturday, I would do 12 hour shifts uh, to take care of uh, pretty sick folks. But then uh, my wife, uh, well, we, I, I should say we, we were both involved with the pregnancy. So instead of like, you know, yeah, my wife got pregnant, but no, we got pregnant and uh, I needed healthcare benefits. And so I started going full time. And so I worked and went to seminary. That was rough. I don't recommend that for any uh, in your listening audience. I know you have this huge following for iHeartPCA. So listen, followers, uh, great job. Uh, Go ahead and rate them five stars. But you should know, don't ever work full time and go to seminary full time. It is terrible for you and your family. So what was, uh, as as far as your experience at Westminster Dallas Redeemer, no longer there now an RTS campus kind of yeah the only seminary uh, that has more names than Prince right that's right that's right what was the best part uh, of your experience at Westminster Dallas uh, I think that uh, so you know for listeners you should understand uh, there are some great seminaries out there and so Covenant is a great seminary but it's larger and it it has I think more of a residence feel uh, or in residence feel so people living either on or, or nearby sure. the campus as I understand it um, and that's fantastic for our stage of life and working like we were both doing we both had families when we went to seminary and we both worked um, yeah. and that wasn't as big of a draw for me I was trying to get through um, but because it was a smaller community the proximity to other students and the professors when you were on campus was richer. And so I left seminary with a ton of friendships that continue to this day. And I I think that time in life where you can learn from the professors and be in conversation with them, not just receiving the lectures, but actually in community, having those uh, back and forth or conversations about what you're learning, that for me was the best. Yeah, I agree. And it's a great loss to the seminary community that the Westminster tradition has, uh, you know, not continued on in the same way. And uh, now that Redeemer is no Amen. more, I'm sad yeah, about that. I, if I had and alcohol, also, I would pour do you it have, out just a little bit for the memory. Yeah. Do you yeah. have some Brad Bradley stories? Obviously. Uh, I don't... Uh, Oh. Yeah, you, you you need to get some. Do you remember the first time you met Brad Bradley? I don't. I think it was actually a GA. And, you know, when it's awkward it's when not. you know who someone else is and they have no idea who you are, and you're like, Brad, it's Joel, you know, and we're in General Assembly, so entirely different context, right? And it, you can just tell from the look at it, you know, very polite, very gentlemanly, exactly what you would expect from Brad. I think he knows who I am now. I definitely don't think he knew who I was the first time we met. Uh, That dynamic played out. I I just, go ahead, go ahead, Doug. Do you want to tell your favorite Brad Bradley story? Well, I don't know if I have a favorite, but uh, like I always thought, you know, Brad is very polished, right? Like he's Dallas all the way. And, you know, I love Dallas, but I am not Dallas all the way. And so I always felt like Brad looked at me sideways because I never like 
fit kind of the mold. I was always kind of t-shirt jeans guy, chucks, uh, flat bills, you know, and, uh, I didn't just, I just didn't really care. Like I'd show up to, you know, Presbyterian meeting or to, you know, network meeting. I wore chucks and jeans in my graduation. Like that's just kind of the way I would roll. And I always thought Brad looked at me kind of like, but then he just was so gracious to me and kind and for me. Like that's one of the things about Brad is, I felt like he was very much for me and in my corner. He's one of the main reasons I'm um, in New Mexico is he kind of, uh, mm-hmm. this church was a network church. And at the time they'd started talking to me, there was possibly even opening. And then I ended up coming as a church planning, uh, you know, apprentice and uh, the network was really behind me and behind it. So I'm thankful for them. That's right. I love Brad Bradley too. And I've got, some of those same stories. Joel, we're heading into the break and I sort of forgot you were a TCU guy. So uh favorite TCU players, teams, oh, yeah. memories. Uh, you know, are you glad they're in the Big 12? What what's Yeah, got? so uh I have been, my older sister went to TCU and graduated from there. So I've been following them. There was this thing called the Southwestern Conference. Do you remember that, Doug? Uh, Way back in the day. Um, And uh, so I've been following them since those days. So yes, definitely glad they're in the Big 12 because it actually feels like coming back home from the Southwestern Southwestern Conference days. Uh, Favorite teams. So there were some good ones when I was there. Ladanian Tomlinson uh, was there. A guy I went to high school with named LeVar Veal. He played safety when I was there at the same time. So we were same, graduated at the same time. And then he went through playing. And, and so it was great to see the rise of the football team during those years. Um, a lot of good years watching. I think my favorite was maybe that first year where they were kind of on, um, on the rise and they beat USC in the Sun Bowl. And it was like, it was kind of an obscure bowl game, but I ended up watching it. Uh, with my wife who I was dating at the time and uh, uh, they won, they upset USC. And that, I think that year they were six and five. So it was before they started pushing uh, higher into the rankings, but that was, uh, that was a great This year. was a, uh, Joel, this was Francione, right? right? Was He was coaching so was, TCU. You know, where there, there's a connection with New Mexico because that's Francione was came to Albuquerque and kind of resurrected UNM's program. That's right, the Lobos, right? And that then, was where he came from. So yeah, he had done right. great things there. And then we hired him uh, to, or t- he, he came to TCU after that. So, yeah. And then he went to Alabama and was, right? Alabama, he went to Alabama. Yeah, he, I think he yeah. struggled. Well, A&M, right? A&M or, and m or he was, struggled. yeah, he was awful. Yeah, awful. He was, he's good at a, he was good at a small school, mid-major kind of school, even like TCU before they were in the Big 12, just like, res, you know, ch- turning programs over. He was really good at that. Yeah, I think most of the years I was there, we beat Oklahoma, which was just great. Every time we beat Oklahoma, I got such great joy from seeing TCU uh, beat them. All right. We Me are, too. Uh, Texas Tech. For the break. <laughs> yeah, now he goes to the break. Um, yeah, there was that. There, that did happen. That was, I think, one of the OU has not lost very many times at home, and it was TCU in like two thousand three or four or five, and that was a massive upset. I remember that happens, right? That's why we do sports, sports ball. 
true. Why do soccer? That's right. Yeah. Soccer has been, uh, I've shifted away from football. So soccer, I would say is my, what I love, uh, or where I find enjoyment. Football is almost dead to me. Wow. Joel. That's Joel. So sad to hear. Okay. We, we're going to have a counseling moment for Joel. We're going to take a break and Joel's going to get, uh, three minutes of counseling on the international counseling network. We're going to pay for him. It costs $30 a minute. So we're going to all pitch into his GoFundMe and, uh, and you know, it's international. So we can all get in on it. We're going to take a break. This is a good time to go get a coffee, refresh your drink, your spritzer, whatever Joel's going to do. White claw, your white claw, Doug. Your white claw. And then we're going to like hit back and we're going to get into the deep dive on general assembly. Mm. Everyone's favorite topic. Here we go. Break time now. Wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and PCA the podcast is sponsored by White Blackbird Books. Reading might be a lost art, but we still think it's important to develop writers and get their thoughts out to you. Listeners should consider Mike Kandijan's A Sometimes Stumbling Life. He writes in honesty about failure and grace as we try to make it through with Jesus, however imperfectly. And pick up a copy of To You I Lift Up My Soul. These are prayers Mike Philibar has written for people and churches. They will make a big difference to you. Order copies on Amazon, give them a read, and write a review. iHeartPCA is also brought to you by coffee. Mmm, coffee. Welcome back to iHeartPCA. We are talking with Joel St. Clair, our friend from the East Coast. We are talking about the PCA and soccer and TCU. But I want to move to a topic that we I don't know we've really gotten into yet, and that is the Book of Church Order and the General Assembly Operations. So, Joel, you are someone who, in my estimation, cares about these things, and you have encouraged me to care about these things. I don't know what level you care about them, but so why don't you just talk about why you care at all and why anyone should care about these things, and then I'll get a few follow-up questions after that. Yeah, uh, where do you start with the Book of Church Order? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Maybe, uh, so uh, in the early 60s, Dr. Martin Luther King was uh, giving a lecture in Iowa, and he uh, dropped a quote. He was talking about legislative change and the importance of working toward legislative change, but he said, the law can't make a man love me, but it can keep him from lynching me, and I think that's pretty important. And, and 
that idea, I think, helps capture for me why the BCO matters, right? Because the BCO, let's not get confused, right? It doesn't make healthy churches, for sure. But, but at its best, when people understand it, when presbyteries are using it, uh, when General Assembly helps update it and uh, bring it to bear uh, in the life of the church in healthy ways, at its best, it can address uh, abuses. It can help protect uh, people who are part of the PCA, it can help give some guidance and structure. So it can't make healthy churches, but the BCO at its best can uh, address uh, how to do things decently and in order, because that's something uh, all Presbyterians care about. And I think even more importantly, help give us a framework uh, to uh, watch out uh, for folks. Um, both parishioners and ministers. So, Joel, is this your natural bent? Is this something that you're predisposed to be interested in, or have you learned to do it? I don't know that it's my natural bent, uh, but it's something that I've understood is a part of how uh, to do church in the PCA, and uh, it connects to how General Assembly works. And so the bottom line is, if I'm in an organization uh, I, I don't think that the, the PCA is the be-all and end-all of all uh, all visible churches across the world. But if I'm in the PCA, then I want to uh, help uh, or be helpful to the PCA every year that I'm in. Right. So my, my goal would be that whenever uh, I move on or pass away or whatever happens to me, that the PCA is a better place. Uh, than when I left it. And with big bureaucracies, whether that's a healthcare system, whether that's the government, whether that's um, an education system, uh, if you want to make it better, you've got to understand how it moves along. And so that means in the PCA, you've got to understand the book of church order and you have to understand generalism. And, and so I think that would be my case. It's not so much driven because I just love details and I've got it on my nightstand and I just love the PCO. That's not true at all. I, I think it comes down to if you want to make lasting change in a positive or healthy direction, you have to understand this stuff. And it does at some level, right, come back to, in our culture, the erosion of institutions is something that's prevalent. And somehow, how do institutions get either changed or renewed? You have to be involved. Like, you, you know, our culture wants to destroy everything and then kind of like either leave it destroyed or build something new without any of the destructive elements. And then that institution just becomes more, you know, corroded than the first. And so how do we, you know, these elements of BCO and GA are ways for us to help serve the institution and make the institution its, uh, its most healthy. Do you agree with that? That's well said, Justin. And, and I think it helps to have friends because not everyone is, needs to dive deep on this stuff. I think it can be helpful where uh, you may have some folks uh, who understand it or have just invested time to get to know it, and then they can be helpful. And I think if you're in a healthy presbytery, my guess is, is that you have a handful of guys in that presbytery who have done that work and they can be helpful. And uh, I uh, have the privilege of being in a presbytery with a guy named David Coffin, whose uh, mustache has hypnotic effects. If you ever talk to him, you have to be careful not to look directly into the mustache for too long. It's incredible. I mean, incredible. It's true. Uh, and, uh, and so with guys like that in your presbytery, it's helpful to uh, understand um, 
what how this framework is formed. And so, uh, yeah, uh, our presbytery probably leans uh, toward that type of structure, um, and yet it's it's really healthy. And, uh, and our presbytery probably reflects the PCA in a lot of ways. So we have guys with different philosophies of ministry, guys who are do- doing different kinds of work. And yet there seems to be, in my experience, a mutual trust and a mutual respect that helps us really focus on what's important and not get lost in the weeds. Justin, what's been your participation with the GA? How has that changed over time? And how is this type of conversation helpful? Yeah, so when I, I know when I came into the PCA, it was like, uh, you know, the guys I knew that went to GA were pretty few and far between. Being in the West, that definitely influences it. So Western guys aren't uh, quite as active usually in General Assembly kind of stuff. And the pastor I was working for at the time, you know, went on occasion. And it was, so I kind of took that same kind of idea that I probably wouldn't go very much. And then uh, it was Joel. I mean, honestly, like uh, Joel at some level gave the the plea, the impassioned plea uh, for how, why we should care and why I should be involved and connected me to other guys who are, were involved and were going. And that's kind of how it started. So it was just attending. I attended my first one, not even as a registered voting member, sat in the back, you know, with all the rest of the black sheep and the women. And, um, and then, you know, uh, and then, you know, the next year I actually came and voted and then I got, you know, involved in the, in uh, the committee, the nominating committee. And I've served on that committee, I guess now three or four years, I think it's four, I actually got an extra year somewhere in there. And then, um, and now I'm like moderating my presbytery poorly, uh, in a pandemic. We only met once. I'm on sabbatical probably for the second one. So I really got off easy as a moderator with <laughs> one actual meeting. How about you, Doug? Yeah, so I, similar, I mean, the West comes out to Oklahoma and I was in RUS, so I didn't really go to very many GAs. My philosophy was to try to stay out of it as much as possible, especially at first. And then, I don't know, something happened four or five, six years ago, and I changed my tune, partly because of people like Joel shaming me. Hey, hey, come on. Not not shame. Encouragement. Encouraging me. Everything is more fun and a little more awkward when you participate. (laughs) Well, so then I agreed to be on the committee and then I got appointed somehow by the stated clerk to be the convener of the committee. And then that meant that I might be elected as the committee chairman. And so that meant I had to study and figure stuff out. And that was really my big, huge moment, which led to eventually the tank top moment. So they're connected issues But um, Joel has been very helpful to me as a friend in this regard, but also many other issues. So I don't want to paint him as like the BCO guru. I mean, just also pastorally and as a friend. And we stopped by in his section of Baltimore. Whoa, whoa. Hold on. Uh, I've got to clarify that for the record. 
Silver Spring. So, you know, the, the word, no, 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 not plural, singular, Silver Spring. Silver spring. Yeah, just one Silver Spring. Singular. Okay, we were there. You were there, yeah. In the heart of it. Yeah, so we had we had uh, lunch with several pastors and two of my kids, and they all said, your pastor buddies are non-terrible. Which is like the highest praise from your kids, right? Your pastor friends are not terrible. That was pretty good. <laughs> like they could be much so, worse. I'm just saying there's a lot of stuff to be thankful for, and we're all in this together. And I think you're right that I've learned that the mechanisms of this matter, and they don't matter the same degree to everybody. Uh, so we need each other to help each other, but we also need to participate. Joel, is that... Yeah, you're you're nailing it. Um, I think that General Assembly is a lot like a dance floor in as much as it is a lot more fun the, the more guys who are participating out there. Um, and, and so if you just have a few folks out there on the dance floor, then everyone just stands out around and talks about other things or doesn't really enjoy the party. I guess my goal has been to try to encourage as many people as possible to get out there and to dance. And at General Assembly, that can be a little intimidating, particularly your first time for guys who are coming from the West, like Justin, or from the Northeast, there's a significant cost. So it, it is not cheap uh, to come. And uh, coming for the first time, depending on what your experience has been, it can be a little bit like showing up to a cricket match. Uh, in as much as you have, like you understand, yeah, there's players out there, they're trying to hit this ball with a stick. And yet you, if you don't know the rules or kind of understand the structure, it can be really difficult to follow. And so I think uh, some of the best ways to deal with that are to not only encourage guys to come, but then sit with them, talk with them, uh, be available for folks to try to understand what's going on. Invite them to things like the fellowship dinner, like what uh, Mike Hanson talked about on one of your first episodes. Uh, those gatherings uh, or that gathering in particular is uh, designed to combine some of the work that goes on in the day-to-day -day of General Assembly with some fun, uh, some connecting relationally. And I think when you have all that come together, you get the best possible outcome. So I wanted to ask you about that, Joel. So your favorite part about General Assembly may not be the procedures and the votes and the nomination committee separate meeting that happens at 10 30 p.m it may be something else so why don't you talk about your favorite part of general assembly and why you've been connected to that yeah i uh i yeah my favorite part of general assembly is connecting with the people hands down and so it's almost a little bit, well, it's a decent bit of work and a good bit of connecting for me in any given General Assembly week. And so the work is showing up uh, and following the debate and voting, uh, particularly when there are important matters going on. And so trying to understand what is being debated and then casting my vote, uh, that's the work part. The play or connecting part is uh, anytime I run into folks. And, and I think that happens in a variety of ways. It happens one-on-one -on -one when you're trying to get to the bathroom and someone says, oh, hey, and then you have that awkward moment of do I just tell them I've got to pee or do you, uh, you know, stop and talk to uh, individual meetings uh, to just connecting with who is going out to lunch and connecting with a group, random group of guys and jumping in and going someplace local or walking there 
grabbing lunch uh, to the fellowship dinner, which is can be uh, has increasingly gotten much larger over the years. All of those parts are what keep me coming back year over year. And what's the fellowship dinner? If people, we talked about this in Mike Kangen's, which was episode one, season one, by the way, to self-reference it. But what is it and why does it matter? Yeah, so it is a gathering together of anyone who's interested in hearing about what's good in the PCA. So if you're listening to this podcast right now, iHeart PCA, the best PCA in the A, right, as you guys like to say, the fellowship gathering is almost like a podcast party with lots of other folks. So if you're listening to this now, you should come to that. Uh, And it is an opportunity to hear about uh, what is good that's happening in the PCA, what is worthwhile. And that perspective, I think, is valuable because in the minute to minute of GA and any one individual vote, the the PCA, at least in my time, is never going to break over one vote. No matter whether that goes the direction you want it to go or whether it it goes against you, that's not going to break the PCA because it's this large organization and uh, change happens often incrementally and uh, over time. And so sometimes when you focus on that, it's almost like, you can end up focusing on just a few trees and the bark on those trees. The fellowship gathering is uh, getting together with lots of other folks and uh, getting a picture of the forest and particularly the beauty of the forest that we call the PCA. So you're uh, buying a drink for someone at GA. What's the drink you're buying them? Uh, I get to choose, Justin. You get to choose. An old fashioned with rye, not bourbon. Excellent choice. Doug, do you have a choice of a bourbon you would, or a drink you would buy someone at GA if you're buying I a drink? I think Old is a good choice. A gin and tonic seems also pretty safe. Yeah, those are good good ones. I, I would agree with both of those. Those are my two favorites. Um, last question. So uh, what would you say, at, you know, with your great soliloquy about the New England Patriots and cheating, what would you say to Jason Bobo right now on this pod about cheating and your favorite team, and the Astros. Jason, I love you dearly. You are a wonderful man. And the Nationals were a better team, not just in the result of the World Series, but in character. And character counts. Mm. Cheating or cheaters never win. Amen. I I second. I concur. I concur. Okay. Wow. And then what would you say to Jason about the Whataburger challenge? Are you asking me or Justin? No, both of you. Eat more meat, Jason. Eat more meat. More patties? Always more patties, Doug. Always. I would tell Jason, just take the nickname. (laughs) all right so we're gonna have to go go back and mesh up all of these podcasts to figure out what we're talking about which i think could be a meta project 
which I appreciate. So, Joel. I think you need to drop links. Definitely drop links in the comment section of this. So when someone goes to read it, give you five stars, check the link for back episodes. Uh, you know, surely with all of the heft of uh, what you have going on, you guys can pull that off. I do. Hey, oh, one yeah. quick story. Can I drop in a story for you guys? In season three of The Wire, uh, there's a mid-level dealer, drug dealer named Cheese, and they catch him on The Wire talking about the death of his dog. And they understood him to be using the dog as the colloquialism of like a friend. And so they bring him down uh, into an interrogation room and they're like, we caught you. Uh, And they they make this effort to flip him, right? And uh, it's this comedic moment where they think they have him admitting on a wire that he killed someone. And then in real life, what had happened in the show was that he had uh, killed his dog. It was a literal dog. I think you guys have pushed a cheese moment with Bianca. I think if somebody catches that Bianca talk uh, and how you shared Bianca and how you feel about her, uh, the BCO is going to be your friend. Uh, you guys are going <laughs> to need some help. Uh, just, just remember if someone emails you or contacts you and they're like, uh, we need to talk about Bianca, then uh, I'll be available. Just drop me a text. That's a good place to end this. I think with Bianca, the dog, the patties. Feeding. Thanks for being on iHeartPCA. We're going to hit on some new theme music, which apparently, Joel, you're appreciative, right? You've referenced iHeartPCA. The best PCA in the... A. In the A. Yeah. All right. It is the best PC in the A. And so you can like iHeartPCA. You can share it with your friends. You can download it onto your Apple thing and get all the Apple products and swamp your system and share it with everybody because that's what we're doing. We are talking about what's good and right and BCO-ish and in decent and orderly in the PCA and we want to like promote all that. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for Joel. Thanks to Joel. Joel, thank you so much for your ministry to us, not just in your like texts and emails and phone calls, but also in your pastoring of this church in sand spring, silver, silver spring, Whatever Maryland. the spring of the springs, <laughs> we're just glad that you're there doing the work. We want to care about you because you care about us. Thank you so much. Right? Thanks right. so much. Uh, it's great to be with you, Justin and Doug, and just fantastic what you're doing. Keep up the great work uh, from Albuquerque and from Oklahoma Township. <laughs> Dude, we are trying. All right, peace out. All right. Breaking shots!